and welcome to Mixed Feelings, a podcast about news, politics, and pop culture on the Relay FM network. I'm Quinn Rose, and I am here as always with my co-host Jillian Parker. Hey everyone. Hey Quinn. See, usually you try to be positive during saying hello, but I just heard your voice die along with all of your hope. <laughs> and my GPA, yeah. You're fine. Uh, today is the um, econ department's exam that all seniors have to take. Um, to graduate with honors, but I'm probably not going to graduate with honors because this exam is going to be insanely hard. They sent out an email yesterday being like, this exam is going to be extremely hard, so we can curve it however we like. Well, they didn't say that last part, but I know that's why they're doing this. They don't want anyone to do well is their point. I never understand that as a testing philosophy that I've witnessed before, also in the econ department. Yeah. But it's fine. Anyway, um, I, you're going to do fine. And it sounds like you don't even have to do really well. You just have to do better than other people. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, it was funny, though, because they sent out an email saying, like, it is impossible to fail the econ honors exam. And I'm just like, hold my beer. (laughs) (laughs) You haven't met me yet. (laughs) There's a first for everything. Sociology does not have a departmental exam because that would be ludicrous. What would that even be? Um, but yeah, so I'm not thriving, but how are you, Quinn? Uh, I'm in tech week for my show. Which I'm going to see on Friday. Woo! Yay! I'm very excited for you to come. It's going to be, this is my last show in college. I've been part of this show choir since sophomore year. I'm very excited. I'm probably going to cry during the concert, which is a fun and exciting thing. (laughs) But it's it's also tech week is at least four hours of rehearsal a day. I've had between four and six hours of rehearsal every day this week and so um this is the thing is normally during tech week I sort of let things slide and then I catch up at the weekend after and and figure my life out but the problem is uh this year my life is already a disaster and things had kind of already slid as far as they could go and so I just have to do them now and I've been playing catch up at the same time that I've been in tech week which is not a good idea Yeah, no, I feel like that's not the ideal scenario. But we're surviving, and that's what matters. Mm. Also, stay tuned to the end of the show today, because there's going to be an important announcement about mixed feelings. So, teaser for the end of the episode, which I guess you could just go to right now if you felt like it, or you could listen to the whole thing. It's really up to you. You're your own person. But we're going to start off today with a story that is currently in development, um, so some firm details will be sparse, but we're going to talk about it, is the shooting on YouTube headquarters. So this is something that happened on April 3rd. A shooter walked in to the YouTube headquarters, fired off a bunch of shots. I believe the number right now is that three people were injured. There have been no fatalities as of the time of this recording, but the three people are in the hospital, some of them in critical condition, so they're... So their condition is subject to updates. Um, She then killed herself. And one interesting detail there is that this is a female shooter, which are very rare. Uh, The vast majority of shooters, especially in circumstances like this, are male. This case was initially suspected of perhaps being related to a domestic violence dispute. Um, But then it turns out that this person was a YouTuber herself. And she was demonstrably very angry with the company. She made lots of videos and posts about how she was angry about being demonetized. She felt like she wasn't getting her due from YouTube. 
and um, there is not a lot of information right now about her specific motives, whether there was something specific that happened, um, what other factors were a part of this, but there, like, people have found her YouTube channels and her posts, although a lot of these have been taken down now. Obviously, all her accounts have been taken down, but some of them have been reposted other places, and yeah, it certainly seems that anger with YouTube as a platform is linked to why this happened. And the reason why, like, the circumstances are so different for a uni- for a um, for a female shooter here is just because like there's no evidence that the attacker knew the victims um, and the three people that have been identified as victims one's a 36 year old man um, and two women aged 32 and 27. So um, as far as we know, it does seem that like the key incentive for her was her um, was her f- uh, feelings about YouTube. Reading about this made me feel like I'm living in some kind of dystopian bizarro world which i am but that's fine but no um because i so i am on youtube i watch a lot of youtube it's one of my main media consumption forms i make youtube videos and so i've heard people talk about these things over and over and over again and being frustrated with youtube as a platform in the way that it perhaps doesn't care about its creators that much and demonetization all over the place and all these kinds of things. But to see that anger, and again, we do not know like what that was translated through, um, but to, to be translated through something and someone with access to firearms to take that into a shooting, it feels like something that was an ordinary thing to me like just a part of what this career path was has been weaponized in a way that I never expected Mm -hmm. yeah and just just this entire situation this this violence is just an echo or is just um sort of in obviously in line with like all the whole like the gun debate um and so it's just it's just terrifying how violent the world at least the world now in which we live and how it's like almost at this point where it's we've become so desensitized or at least I've become very desensitized and it's it's scary it is very scary and it just and it's just another reminder that nowhere is safe like really and people have such access to these horrendous weapons and it's schools and workplaces and churches and movie theaters and and it just like over and over again the proof that nowhere is safe and that anything there was a weird phenomena i think this is still happening with the the rise of um this movement recently in in response to the parkland shooting and everything that the parkland students have been doing is some people have been like it's not guns that's the problem it's bullying that's the problem which is a very interesting take, but basically arguing that that this happens because people are bullied in schools, and that it, that if like people in schools were nicer to each other, then that they wouldn't get shot because like everybody would be happy, and so they wouldn't be shooting people. Which is like a very very weird argument, considering especially considering that like the most common shooters are white males and they um like people bullied in school are often people from minority groups and like marginalized people in various ways who are like constantly harassed and bullied in online spaces and all sorts of stuff anyway i digress but that this um this searching for outside 
causes and motivations and like there's got to be a thing like it's mental health or it's bullying or it's like this is the thing that we have to solve um but every one of these cases even like a lot of them have a lot of similarities like a lot of a lot of shooters are domestic violence perpetrators that doesn't appear to be true in this case like this is a very in terms of demographics like a very different kind of shooter and that just but that just goes to show that like there's not one outside cause like this happens for so many different reasons and it's in the culture and yes it is the guns (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and i don't i don't like the argument where it's like oh yeah like we have a bullying problem it's like i think it's just like you don't i yes like you should be a nice person but like if we say oh yeah bullying is the problem and if everyone was just nice to each other then everything would be fixed that i feel like that just like that creates sort of this environment where you're almost afraid to say anything ever because you're afraid it could be taken the wrong way or can be misconstrued. And, like, I don't think we should live like that. And there's this just horrifying undercurrent of an implication of that, that that students in a school shooting brought it upon themselves because if they had been nicer, then it would have been fine. And it's like, I don't think you can actually, I don't think that you can actually do anything to bring a school shooting upon yourself. Like, I don't think that's a situation that exists. Also, this entire, this is, like, not everyone who's like talking about this bullying is a problem thing but like some people are far right people who are suggesting that like the parkland teens who are have become gun control advocates like bullied the shooter and that's why this happened and it's so trying to set them up as the bad guys which again is like part of this whole web of horrifying conspiracy theories about the parkland teenagers Mm -hmm. yeah and also just like how we're looking for this answer, like some somewhere we can lay blame, like s- some simple, easy solution, like, oh, bullying, bullying will stop, you know, school shootings. Um, and obviously these two are very different, but it's it just reminds me um, of that, like, not necessarily that sexual assault victims deserve it, but they like brought on themselves, which is like, I went to a very conservative school. And like, that was one of the arguments, not ar- arguments, but like, oh, yeah, like, women who have been sexually assaulted brought it on themselves by like dressing provocatively and it just reminds me of that this sort of just reminds me of that type of blame that we're giving that we're putting on the victims and it just makes me really irks me yeah i feel like victim blaming is such a part of culture when it comes to sexual assault discussions but it is like i feel like it is exposed for how completely horrifying and absurd it is when applied to the idea of shootings like you can't victim blame people who got shot what yeah and like i mean i know i guess it's kind of a psychological thing too right if you assign some sort of scapegoat then it's just easier for you to process that's true and i think that a lot of people are reaching trying to find anything that's not limit access to guns in terms of answers to these questions and I'm not saying that, um, sir, like, there's one easy fix. There's, like, and I mean, we've talked about this before. It is absolutely, like, a cultural aspect, and there are different factors, lots of different factors. But, like, obviously, gun control is a big factor. And if there was less access to guns, there would just be less guns and less shooting. That's just, I can't go over this again. It's interesting because, like, the libertarian stance on guns is, like, pretty when we argue about it it's not necessarily about from the point of like oh we should have stricter gun control laws it's more of like yes statistically speaking it it makes sense like if we had fewer guns or if guns were less accessible then we would have fewer shootings um but it all leads what libertarians don't like is the slippery slope that okay fine we cut all like 
assault weapons, but then, like, what comes next? What if we do eliminate handguns? And their whole idea is that, like, handguns and this idea of, like, having, like, being able to have a handgun is sort of, like, an insurance that, like, you use as a reactionary sort of thing. Like, if, okay, fine, if you eliminate all guns, then, like, what happens, like, I, I don't know. It's just, I'm not explaining this well, but, um, basically the libertarian stance is that, like, if we eliminate all, um, assault weapons, what's the next step? Because libertarians don't want to see that all handguns are eliminated, and then you sort of lose that liberty of being able to protect yourself. In terms of arguments as to why people own guns, like, some of them I I understand totally, but it's also, like, if you are a responsible gun owner, then you shouldn't have any reason to worry about responsible gun owning laws because if we implement like strong background checks and you can't get a gun if you have a domestic violence conviction and like different things like this that would help keep guns out of the hands of dangerous people. If you're not a dangerous person, then you're fine. Congratulations. You can buy a gun before you're 21, right? That's that is that a thing or am I making that up? You can. They're different. I think they're different laws in different states mm-hmm. um, in terms of gun ownership because some it's eighteen and some it's twenty one. Yeah, well, it just boggles my mind. In some places, you can have a weapon that can kill people before you can drink legally. I mean, you can also go to war. Yeah, I mean that's fair. You die for your country, but you can't have a beer. <laughs> it's also just it's just very interesting to me when people are like, "Oh, you can join the army at eighteen. But some places you can't buy a gun when you're 18. And I'm like, yeah, the army, you get trained. Like, that's kind of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You're not just, like, a random 18-year-old on the street. You're someone who's in training, and they don't let you, like, they, they, this is a very, this is the most training you can get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, that's a very, that argument doesn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. Bringing it back to this specific instance, um, it does appear that a lot fewer people were seriously harmed than could have been. So as wildly dystopian as American society is, that is a lucky thing about this. Um, And yeah, we don't want to, again, we don't want to speculate too much about other stuff that's going on since this is still a story in development. If there have been major developments past we've talked about, they'll be linked in the show notes. You can read more about it. Yeah, it's just crazy how now we live in a world where it's like, well, at least only like a sing- at least only three people were hurt, as opposed to like mm, zero people. Yeah, the the normal number of people you expect to have injuries from a shooting on a day to day basis. Yep. Well, this is the world in which we live, and it is not a peaceful one. It's not. It's real scary out there, y'all. Hug your friends. In the news of our technology knows everything about us and is going to steal your soul, a few different updates this week that are particularly interesting, starting with the Grindr case. So Grindr is a dating app for gay and bisexual men, just men seeking men in general. Um, It's a very popular app, and it's also sort of become a part of gay culture. They have a, a culture magazine that they publish and stuff like this. And so uh, Grindr is a very important institution. And recently they started uh, letting users indicate their HIV status. So they can indicate if they were HIV positive and also how recently they got tested. 
And for context, this is a pretty big deal. If you're not aware, HIV and AIDS is a huge part of the history of the LGBTQ community, um, especially with gay and bisexual men. And only a few decades ago, just absolutely devastated and an entire generation of people. But now um, HIV is no longer a death sentence and that it is um, not good, but that it is a manageable lifetime disease with the appropriate resources and care and attention and more and more celebrities are coming out as HIV positive and raising awareness for it. But it's also super important to get tested and to be taking, um, there are certain medications you can take to help lower your risk of HIV um, and to just practice safe sex in general and all these things. So anyway, Grindr was really celebrated for focusing on this and making and trying to destigmatize it, but also like encourage people to have safe practices, all sorts of stuff. Unfortunately, this week, uh, news broke um, on that Grindr was sharing this status with other companies. And so basically Grindr has been using um, third-party companies that help optimize apps. And to do that, they share user data with them. And this includes, you know, your HIV status that you've indicated, but also things like your address and your GPS location and your phone number and like obviously personally identifiable data. And the problem, the big problem with this as well is like Grindr claims that all the information that was shared was encrypted. um, But in the BuzzFeed investigation of this, they claim that some of it was shared in plain text, which means that it would be very easy to access um, if someone else tried to get into that data because it's been shared in plain text and not encrypted. This is very bad. Encrypt your data. Yeah, and I guess Grindr's defense was that, like, all, you know, all app companies do this. They do release these this information to be studied um, by third-party companies so they can get more information on their users and how to better improve their program, things like that. But this is just, like, you know, <laughs> there's a huge difference between your HIV status and also, like, what, like, what kind of clothes you wear, you know, just in terms of... um how how sensitive the data is mm-hmm. and this yeah this is absolutely such sensitive information i mean everything in grinder is often very sensitive information because i mean app like grinder is a gay dating app and it's used by people who are in unsafe situations who are like in homes that um they like have to hide that they are gay or they are in just like communities or in entire countries where it's not safe to be gay and so these kinds of things Um, Even just being on the app itself can be like a really personal piece of information. And to to expand that to HIV status, which is so heavily stigmatized um, still in the world, is just makes my skin crawl. Mm -hmm. I guess I guess it's the main concern that like if this information got into the wrong hands, then like health insurance companies would use this information against people who are trying to buy health insurance. Is that I mean, I think that's the overarching fear of all society. It's currently you're not supposed to do that, but um, that's sort of the idea is like what what kind of price discrimination and various kinds of discriminations can things like healthcare companies or like employers do if they know your health status? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I'm just like, I, I feel, maybe I'm looking at this the wrong way, but wouldn't you only like share your 
HIV status if it was like good news. Like I, I feel like that's something you would like opt into and be like, oh yeah, like I got tested here and I'm not HIV positive. Well, but the point is, this is like a dating and hookup app, and you you do should not hide the fact that you are HIV positive from someone that you want to hook up with. Like and it's it's so I do think that perhaps not everyone, but people do share if they're HIV positive so that partners can make informed choices. Because like, if you are like very scared of hooking up with someone HIV positive, then you can just not talk to that person and neither of you has to deal with the time or energy. Um, and if you are prepared for that and then you both like go in knowing that and can make the, the safety preparations, you need to have safe sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's just all a question of privacy and like, it's it's scary but we have to just and this is just in general like go into like whatever information we give up it's like well now there's just just because of how the world works we're just going to assume that everything that i put on somewhere is just going to be found out by everyone it's really weird because we do live in this strange cognitive dissonance space of everything that i put in the internet can be public at any given time but also i put everything on the internet because like I don't really feel like anything's public. I'm using the royal eye here because mm-hmm. me and everyone else, I think. Grinder put out a statement about this and basically said, hey, this isn't fair. <laughs> I'm editorializing. But yeah, they, they they said that they were being targeted unfairly by this article and that like everyone else does this as well. And everyone uses these services to optimize their apps and shares their data and stuff. And I'm like, well, maybe they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. I mean... Yeah, I can understand, though, like, how they're just like, no, this is what we've, like, we do this with everyone else. It's just, like, I guess they're, just that the information um, that's been, you know, shared here is just more, more sensitive, more highly sensitive mm-hmm. than, say, like, mm, what's your favorite place to eat, <laughs> you know? like Yeah, and there's also the idea of, like, informed consent, because oftentimes these things, it's like, the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal that is ongoing, um, and this is like people click buttons that say sure because there's these huge user contracts that no one ever reads, and it's like, should we change the way that we mandate how people have to be told about this? So like people have to actually be aware of what they are clicking before they click it. I guess going forward the reason why this is such a big issue is just because like okay so what if we do assume that like everything that we put out is going to somehow be you know public and can be traced back to us and then that just incentivizes us to lie and then it's just this whole you know economic breakdown of asymmetric information and everything goes to pieces i don't really think that's gonna happen though i feel like this is a thing that's happened is like these platforms are such a large part of modern society is that it's hard to opt out of them and that it's hard to construct false identities on them because you like we don't exist on the internet anonymously anymore we exist as ourselves and if we don't exist on the internet it can be very hard for us to keep in touch with people or to keep up with current events or to get certain jobs and all sorts of stuff. I literally have an aunt who um, was told that she was not like put forward for a very cool job that she interviewed for because she had no social media presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I dated a guy who like didn't have a Facebook, and all my friends were like, "He wasn't real." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, yeah, but I do think that, though, like, I don't want to say that something like this is going to incentivize people to, like, opt out completely, um, but I do think it's, like, one of those things where, like, you know, you do create, you you curate this image um, of yourself that you put forth online, and um, I think it does incentivize you to maybe, like, stretch the, tr- stretch the truth about some things, which I think is just pretty fair to say in all dating apps, right? That's true. Stretching the truth is a time-honored tradition of resumes and dating apps. But the only, I guess the key difference is there's a difference between saying, like, oh, yeah, like, I'm a dog person, not a cat person, versus, like, I have HIV versus I don't. So yes. a little a little distinction between those two two characteristics. Yes, absolutely. It's It's down to the... It's about how information is shared and how people consent to information being shared, but it's also just, like, the stakes get raised so high when it's something so sensitive. Yeah, yeah. Grindr has already come out and said that they will stop sharing HIV status with outside companies, which is cool. I'm sorry that we had to yell at you first, Grindr, but at least that you have ceased, are going to cease to do this. This is why we can't have nice things. Everyone was like, oh, yay, Grindr's doing this. What a cool, progressive, helpful thing to do. And then they were like, oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, and also just, like, the way that um, the employees at Grindr have been talking about this, it, it sort of gives off this, like, well, if we hadn't been caught, we would still be doing this. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, which is, you know, kind of alarming. That no one, no one at Grindr was like, hmm, maybe we shouldn't share this information. <laughs> Trust no one, especially companies. <laughs> and, you know, in other news of information being released and being used um against you well i mean i guess this is sort of helpful but um basically what happened was that there was this grandmother who was wearing an apple watch when she was killed in 2016 um and her daughter-in-law was like oh like she was tied up by like these random guys and like they actually murdered her blah 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 um but then they actually like went through the data on her apple watch which seems to suggest that it was actually a setup by said daughter-in-law yeah to clarify the daughter-in-law claimed that she had been um held captive and she set out a a certain timeline of how things happened but the data like the watch tracks uh several things about your body including your heartbeat and like they so they could tell see exactly when the heartbeat stopped um on the victim and it was hours before the daughter's story would suggest that it happened yeah i think there was like a three hour gap or something yeah which is a lot of time to do stuff (laughs) it's a lot of time um and this is just you know another way i guess or maybe in a positive way, not for the daughter-in-law, obviously, but um, for justice, um, using information and using technology to figure out, you know, who's responsible for illegal activity. And in this case, this evidence is, like, it being used in court, and it's even being considered strong enough that uh, this person is being denied bail. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, uh, okay, yeah, this is a really strong piece of evidence against uh, the daughter-in-law. Which is just fascinating. There's different... We're developing rules on the fly about how technology intersects with law. Like, there was a case of can the police force you to unlock your phone? And they basically found that the police can compel you to unlock the phone with your fingerprint, but they cannot compel you to enter your passcode. Mm -hmm. Which is an interesting distinction. But yeah, it's this whole question that's still underway of, like, our phones, how do we legally consider the technology that's in our lives? Are our phones and our smartwatches extensions of ourselves? 
can they be accessed by outside people without our permission can they are they permissible in court what kind of data is permissible in court and i just wonder like how much this will hold up in court because i feel like if this daughter-in-law can afford a good lawyer like i feel like the lawyer would make some sort of argument that oh there is reasonable doubt because this could have been hacked remotely i don't think so though because this is an apple watch like and this isn't like text messages which are reasonably easy to fake and different things like this is like a health data from an apple watch which are like Apple products are notoriously safe in terms of um, being being encrypted and like safe from outside hacking and like they're uh, I think this is going to be pretty tight. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's fair, but I just don't trust any any device or any system. So that's just me, though. I have recently started using the health app more. First of all, I had never logged into the health app ever on my phone, and then I finally logged into it one day for some reason. I don't remember why. And it tracks your steps even if you don't log in. It had tracked every step I had taken with my phone since October of 2014, which is how old my phone is. Yes, the battery is very sad. And so I was like, what the heck? Um, So that was a little concerning. But then, but for various boring reasons, I started tracking more stuff in the health app. And it's like, it's so helpful for me. Um, and I'm sure a lot, tons of other people, which is why this exists to like be able to look back on days and, and just see basic health and mood information. But on the other hand, I'm like, Ooh, I am voluntarily giving so much data to this device about me as a person and a physical person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm more into, um, Fitbit, except I did buy a Fitbit like the other day, like a new Fitbit and it like the battery is completely shot and I'm just like, <sighs> I'm just going to revert to my old Fitbit. Um, so I'm very angry with Fitbit right now. But I do love your app. It's an incredible design and very user-friendly. This is sponsored by the Fitbit app specifically, not the device, apparently. <laughs> apparently. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. I I feel like I personally, based on historical evidence that's happened so far, tend to trust Apple as a company with my data and I kind of have to because they own all of my data anyway. So, like, am I just, well, and it's, it, for me, like, the benefits of, of tracking my health information with this are really large for me right now. And so, like, that seems important to me. And it's also, and I mean, all da- all personal data, like, is important and should be valued. And it's not, it's not nobody cares. But it's also, like, it's not, like, it's something like an HIV status or, you know, really important stuff. It's, like, very basic things. So, like, even if that data did get in someone else's hands, it'd be, like, wow, this person was kind of sad today. Who knew? You'll never believe it. What? Quinn Rose took 5,000 steps on July 15th, 2016. It was really fun to go back and look at all my steps once I realized it was tracking them. Because some days it was, like, you walked 13 miles today. And some days it was, like, you literally did not leave your house. (laughs) And I was like, oh, yes, this was Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, this was all in my spring break. (laughs) So one of the world's most popular streaming, online music streaming apps is Spotify, and they just went public. Um, So basically they issued an IPO, which is what they do is like it's a public offering. So they now um, can be sold on the stock exchange. Um, And so like people can buy shares and like take and collect dividends. instead of just private investors partaking in, like, the company's earnings. Um, but basically, what is unique about the Spotify IPO um, was that 
it was not underwritten by banks, which means that like, so usually when a private company goes public and they offer up um, an initial public offering, they have all of these banks like get in on the deal. Um, and that's why inv investment banking is so lucrative because then they too get a cut of the um, can get can get a cut of, you know, the money that they make. And so basically what the common process to go through an IPO is, is that these large investment banks do this thing called underwriting, where they basically, you know, um, ensure that they will cover any financial losses because there is a lot of risk involved when a company goes public. And so what's unique about Spotify is that instead of going through um, all of these really intense processes with investment banks is that they just did a direct listing, which basically means that they had their own employees and private investors already just give up their public shares, um, give up shares that they can sell to the public. Um, and then they had investment banks instead of underwriting this entire financial process. Um, they had the, the banks just advise them on how to do it. There are different aspects to this. On one hand, it's pretty cool and interesting to see a company do this. Um, they talk about how they're disruptors and so they're going to continue to disrupt things in the way that they handle themselves. But also, if this continues, Jillian won't have a job, so... Actually, I am not on the private side, but um, <laughs> this does not affect my career choice, but yes. I should be clear that I have no idea what Jillian does. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody does. Do I even know? Unclear. It's a secret. <laughs> yeah. Um, that makes it sound like you're in the CIA or something. No, I mean, she just works in finance and I don't know what it means. <laughs> I feel like finance is one of those things where, like, nobody really knows what they do until they're, like, 10 years into the, um, 10 years with the company, and then they're like, ah, yes, so this is what I've done in my time here. Finance is wild, y'all. Um, yeah, and actually, <laughs> I literally signed up for a Spotify, Spotify free account the other day just so I could watch the, um, the Taylor Swift delicate music video, which was only released on Spotify. And I was sorely disappointed because it's literally just her like lip syncing to the song delicate in a field. That was an interesting thing that happened actually. So Taylor Swift, everyone knows who Taylor Swift is, um, put out like a music video to her song delicate, but then put on like a different music video that was only on Spotify. And it was like a vertical video shot on a phone and stuff. It was a very interesting thing. I haven't watched it yet. I see it every time I log into Spotify. I am a Spotify user. I'm currently a paid user. Um, I personally think it's, a, I love Spotify. It's like, it's a huge streaming service. I really love it. I used it free for years, and then I finally signed up. They had this deal where you could get three months for 99 cents of paid service, and it was so good. Oh, my God. It just – I love it. And so now I've, I've continued to pay for it, even though it pains me because I have no money. But um, it is such a good service, and the benefits of having a paid account are really high for me. I, I guess what is the main difference – then you don't have iTunes music. I do not have Apple Music, no. Um, yeah, Apple Music. Would you say, like, do you know if there's, like, a huge difference between? Because, like, I, so I have um, Apple Music because I pay, like, the four ninety nine student fee or whatever, and so it's, like, cheaper for me. But, like, I'm on the Spotify right now, like, the free 30-day trial account, whatever. Um, and I don't really see a huge difference between the two, but maybe I'm using it wrong. Unclear. Well, for me, so the big thing with Spotify, and I think maybe the reason besides the fact that they're older than apple music um that they're so popular is that you can have a free account on spotify for as long as you want like it, it's a free service and 
but then you can also choose to pay for an account. What that means is you can download music and have it available offline and you can also listen on demand. Whereas um, if you have the free account on a laptop, it's on demand, but on your phone, you can't just listen to a specific song. It has to be like on shuffle or on radio or, or these different things. And so I think that that's a really big way that they hook in users and get them involved in it. And then um, a lot of people... I mean, a lot of people keep it free, but then a lot of people also choose to go to the paid model. Oh, and you have ads in the free version and no ads in the paid version. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, that's how things work, except for Hulu, which still gives you ads even if you pay. And that's the worst. God, Hulu, come on. <laughs> <sighs> but Hulu is the only streaming service as Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So you win some, you lose some. <laughs> <laughs> you win some, you lose most. But honestly, I don't. In terms of like specific functionality, I think it's mostly a matter of personal preference between Apple Music and Spotify. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. And I've already sold my soul to Apple in like all facets of my life. So just for me, Apple Music is easier because of the integrate integration. Yeah, honestly, I think about that sometimes. Is maybe if since I'm apparently choosing to pay for streaming services now, potentially switching over to Apple Music. Um, because like it is just so integrated into the ecosystem that I already use I might I don't know I tried it when that when I had like a free three-month trial or however long the free trial of Apple Music was and I really liked it um but I just really like all free things so I don't really remember it compared to how I feel about the paid Spotify version yeah that's fair this is also all beyond the initial point I just literally like Spotify (laughs) Yeah, and also it's like valued at like thirty billion dollars, which is really cool. Yeah, that's the other thing is like it did it made this big decision in, in going public in a certain way, and it seems to have really paid off. Like, it's doing well so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also I think this is I don't know I'm I'm just thinking about Spotify in relation to Snapchat because when Snapchat first went public, everyone like had these like really big expectations, and then the valuation ended up like not being so hot. Um, obviously, Snapchat has made up for it, except all that one time when Kylie Jenner um, posted a Snapchat video complaining about the Snapchat app, and then like <laughs> Snapchat like lost billions of dollars in valuation um, on the stock market just because you know Kylie Jenner is an icon yeah they lost a bunch of money from the jenners and then they lost a bunch of money because there was this horrifying there was this horrifying thing on snapchat that i don't even want to get into but um rihanna also complained about them and not even not in an i don't like this app way like in a serious you messed up way and they also lost a ton of money from that so i'm not sure how snapchat's doing now yeah i will have to credit to credit snapchat though um, because Facebook wanted to buy Snapchat because Facebook wants to buy everything um, back when Snapchat was only worth a few billion dollars. And the CEO of Snapchat, who's actually married to Victoria's Secret model Miranda Kerr, um, was like, heck no. And now they're doing so much better and they're worth way more than a few billion dollars. Yeah. I mean, then instead, Facebook bought Instagram and then just made Snapchat on Instagram and then just waited until Snapchat messed up. And then we're like, yes, we win. Yeah. But I don't know. I feel like there is... I still feel that, like, there is a big difference between Snapchat and Instagram. Like, even though Instagram has incorporated stories and whatever. Oh, yeah. There are still definitely big differences. And there are differences in the ways that different people use the platform. But more and more... Because before, I feel like I had Instagram stories that I would watch of sort of, like, celebrities. um, But more and more, I see my friends posting Instagram stories um, in addition to or instead of Snapchat stories. So I do think that there is a shifting tide. Mm-hmm. And I do think that Snapchat is more news-based. Like, there's more 
Yeah. Yeah, just like miscellaneous magazines and news and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, more paid advertising. Well, no, Instagram has a lot of paid advertising. Basically, paid advertising is everywhere. (laughs) Yep. And we're... hmm. The web ecosystem is not super secure. (laughs) Yeah, no, hard pass. So we'll see how this goes. Mm Mm-hmm. I do think it's just in general an interesting indication um, that Spotify is doing so well and so well in so many aspects. There have been various controversies surrounded around Spotify and music streaming in general in terms of like how little artists get paid for streams. Mm-hmm. And so there are some people like Taylor Swift has actually been outspoken about this. Um, clearly, she is okay with it now because she made a video specifically for spotify that's an interesting thing i didn't think about i wonder how much money they gave her for that and with all this i'll be interested to see how apple music responds and like if apple is going to make a big push with apple music to try to take over some of spotify's ground or what's gonna happen there uh love some love some competing companies yeah but also apple kind of just has the upper hand because of everything else that they do yeah that they're the richest company in the world yeah i think they're probably uh they probably have the funds to handle this. <laughs> yeah, they're they're probably not even that concerned. Yeah, I mean, they also have like a thousand other things. So yeah, they probably have different priorities. And Apple Music is good. Apple Music is good. There are a lot of like iTunes is not good. Apple Music is good. Yes, agreed. So I promised an announcement at the beginning of the show. Mixed feelings is ending. Yeah, which we both have mixed feelings about. Yeah. So. This is not the last episode. Imagine. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be hilarious. Surprise. <laughs> no, but um, we will be ending with episode 70. So there are only going to be two more episodes after this one. Yeah. Basically, the show is just not going to be sustainable after we graduate um, because we will both be fully employed and living in different cities and all <sighs> sorts of things. And I know, I'm sorry. Sad. Quinn hates me. Okay, excuse me. <laughs> We will be doing things in other forms and still exist in other places. And, like, I um, will be working on new podcasts for Relay and all sorts of stuff. And so we were not going to disappear, but Mixed Feelings will no longer be around um, after... I mean, it'll, <laughs> we're going to detonate the feed. No, the the feed will still also exist and you can also um, listen to old episodes whenever you miss us. But we will not be making new episodes anymore after episode 70. Yeah, I might disappear from the face of the earth, but that's because I'm not really in the realm. Well, Jillian can make her own decisions because she hates me too. Oh my god, Quinn! (laughs) (laughs) But we'll keep you updated on all of that, and we will say corny things about the show and it ending um, when it actually ends, I'm sure, but we're not going to do that now because I don't want to do that and then have to come back next week. (laughs) Yeah, and also I need to really cram for this exam now, so. Yeah, make some good points. Yeah. So with that, that's all for today. If you want to, you can follow us on Twitter at MixedFeelingsFM. Um, you can also find us online at Relay.fm slash MixedFeelings, where you can read our show notes or there's a contact form if you want to send us an email. You can find me on Twitter at AspiringRobotFM. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Jillian Parker. Thanks for talking with me, Jillian. Oh, thanks for talking with me, Quinn. Always a pleasure. I'm Quinn Rose. I'm Jillian Parker. And these were our Mixed Feelings.